In 1838, an American portrait painter by the name of Samuel Morse developed a system whereby signals could be sent down an electrical wire. This system allowed for information to be sent almost instantly over vast distances. However, sending pulses of electromagnetic energy down a wire isn't in and of itself communication. So he developed a system to encode these pulses in a way that was legible. Learn more about Morse code, how it works, and how it's actually still used today on this episode of Everything Everywhere Daily. This episode is sponsored by ButcherBox. Summer is right around the corner, and that means cookouts. No matter what your preferred food is for a cookout or a barbecue, ButcherBox can help you make it the best. If you want to serve up some hamburgers, ButcherBox has grass-fed ground beef to make the perfect smash burger. Want to cook up some steaks? Well, ButcherBox has that too, with some of the best cuts of steaks such as New York Strip, ribeye, and filet mignon. Do you like grilled chicken? Well, ButcherBox has some of the best pasture-raised chicken that you will find anywhere. And if you really want to wow people at your next cookout, you can try grilling some of their wild-caught salmon on a cedar plank. Sign up at ButcherBox.com daily and get a special deal. ButcherBox is offering my listeners a free-for-a-year offer plus an additional $20 off. You can choose salmon, chicken breasts, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at ButcherBox.com daily and use code DAILY to choose your free-for-a-year offer, plus get $20 off your first order. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. In some ways, the invention of the telegraph was far more profound than the communication technologies which came after it. Yes, the telephone and the internet could do much more and were better than what preceded them, but the telegraph was basically competing with someone carrying a letter on a horse or a ship. Future communication systems which came after were incremental improvements. The telegraph, however, created an entire category of electronic communication. The idea of an electronic device for communications actually dates back to the 18th century, when concepts and early prototypes were built. These systems were really impractical in that they used a separate wire for each letter of the alphabet and could only transmit the distance of a single room. The discovery of the electromagnet furthered things along as it allowed for a mechanical action to take place on the other end of an electrical wire. The earliest telegraph systems were known as needle telegraphs. A needle telegraph worked by moving a needle to the right or the left depending on the current sent down the wire. The first needle telegraphs tried to make the needle point to a letter of the alphabet, but eventually they settled on a code where a letter would correspond to a series of needle movements. For example, left-left was the letter A, right-right was the letter N. Eventually, a five-needle system was developed where you didn't even need a code. The needles would just point to the correct letter, and then you didn't need a skilled operator. But you did need five different wires, which proved difficult early on. Many of the early systems developed in Britain were multi-wire systems, which was their weak point. Each wire was a point of failure, and more wires equaled more cost. There has been a running theme in this podcast when I talk about inventions. 
Early versions or prototypes are often built or conceived decades or sometimes centuries before they come into regular use. And the reason is that the first versions usually aren't practical or cost-efficient to implement. So too is the case with the telegraph. The early multi-wire systems worked, but they weren't practical. The first practical telegraph was developed by the American Samuel Morse and Alfred Vail. Their system was a single-wire system that didn't use any needles. On the other end of the wire was a telegraph key which was part of an electrical circuit. When the key was pressed on one end, it caused the key on the other end to depress, making a sound. I'm sure if you've ever seen a movie with a telegraph, you're familiar with the clickety sound of a telegraph key. The very first version of the Morse system actually recorded the key coming down on a long, thin strip of paper similar to an old ticker tape, but that was eventually abandoned. Morse demonstrated his system on May 24, 1844, on a connection between Washington, D.C. and Baltimore, Maryland. Morse was in Washington, and Vail was in Baltimore, and Morse famously sent the first message, which was, What hath God wrought? Morse's telegraph was very simple and much cheaper than anything which came before it. As a result, it was rapidly adopted over the next several decades as telegraph wires spread throughout the United States and Europe. If you remember back to my episode on the transatlantic cable, the first telegraph message sent across the Atlantic was in 1858, only 14 years after Morse's demonstration. This episode, however, is not technically about the telegraph. To send that famous message, Morse had to solve a problem. How could he turn a bunch of clicking sounds into a comprehensible message? A telegraph operator could only press down on a single key. It turned out that the solution lay in the fact that you could vary the amount of time that the key was pressed down. This led to different types of signals that could be sent based on time. The shorter ones became known as dots, and the longer ones became known as dashes. The code that Morris developed was combining the short and long codes into letters of the alphabet. So, for example, the letter A is dot dash. The letter B is dash dot dot dot. If you learned this code, then you could both send and receive messages. The early needle telegraph systems tried to achieve something easy to decipher at the cost of being complex and expensive. The Moore system was cheaper and easier, but the trade-off was the need for a skilled operator. The telegraph system actually evolved and was improved organically by these telegraph operators. The early paper system that was abandoned was at the behest of operators who just found it easier to listen. The operators developed abbreviations to make transmissions go faster, many of which would seem shockingly familiar to anyone who's used text messaging in the 21st century. The 19th century telegraph operators would have had no problem with LOL or OMG. A train telegraph operator was a high-paying tech job, and there was a great demand for them. It was the 19th century equivalent of a computer programmer. Telegraph operators were able to actually tell who was on the other end of a wire based on how they transmitted their code. There were unique styles and cadences that operators could identify after enough practice. The code Morse developed was good, but there were problems with it that became evident early on. For starters, it was designed around American English. However, there are other languages that have letters beyond the 26 used in English. Also, the first system developed by Morse had a few characters that were longer than a regular dash. A dash was supposed to be twice the length of a dot but the letter L, for example, was just four times as long as a dot, which could really get confusing. Morse's original code became known as American Morse code. In 1848, the German Friedrich Goethe developed a code based on Morse code for use in continental Europe. Goethe got rid of the extended dashes and limited everything to nothing but dots and dashes to make it easy. And he also created codes for European characters with diacritical marks such as an umlaut. 
1865, a modified version of the Gurkha system, which was in and of itself a modification of the original Morse system, was adopted into what was called International Morse Code. That is the Morse code that everyone in the world uses today. Americans didn't adopt the international code right away, as the vast majority of messages were sent domestically, and they didn't want to spend the time and effort to retrain their operators. International Morse code eventually became necessary because telegraph lines were now being installed across borders, and because of a new technology developed in the late 19th century, radio. It turned out that Morse code worked really well with early radio. Instead of connecting a circuit, you could just broadcast the sounds directly. Radio allowed for transmitting and receiving signals from ships and eventually airplanes. As maritime radio increased, the International Radio Telegraphic Convention in 1906 created a distress signal in Morse code that you're probably familiar with, SOS. SOS doesn't mean anything. It's not an acronym. The letters were chosen simply because they are simple to remember in Morse code. Dot dot dot, dash dash dash, dot dot dot. In 1904, a proposal was put forward to use CQD as a distress signal. The reason for it was because CQ was the word used by telegraph operators when starting a transmission. The letters CQ actually represent the French CQ, which is the first part of the word sécurité. So the D in CQD would be for distress. CQ is still the code used by amateur radio operators today when establishing a connection. While CQD made sense in the logic of telegraph operators, it wasn't simple and easy to remember, so SOS won out. The cruise ship RMS Slavonia was the first ship to send an SOS signal on June 10, 1909. When the Titanic sank, the radio operator on board first sent a CQD signal, and then on the advice of his assistant began alternating CQD and SOS. There were similar systems developed for non-Latin alphabet languages. There is a Russian Morse code that maps the Cyrillic alphabet, and there is a Waban code which maps to the Japanese Kana characters. There's even a telegraph code for Chinese as well. The way they get around having so many characters is that they assign each character a four-digit number. The numbers are transmitted in regular Morse code. It sounds inefficient, but each Chinese character is efficient in how much information a single character can convey, so it all sort of evens out. You just need to know 10 Morse code characters, but then you need to have a sheet to decode the 10,000 possible combinations. With the rise of telephones and voice radio, the demand for Morse code operators plummeted. However, it was still something that was taught to radio operators, even though it wasn't often used, for decades. The extremely simple nature of Morse code means it's been adopted for uses far beyond telegraph and radio. Major Alexei Castagli was a British prisoner of war in World War II. During his captivity, he created a small wall hanging that he sewed by hand. The Germans didn't think anything of it, but along the margins in Morse code, he stitched the phrases, God save the king, and F. Hitler. During the Vietnam War, American pilot Jeremiah Denton was shot down and captured. On May 22, 1966, Denton and several other prisoners were taken to be interviewed by a team of Japanese reporters. He was told to tell the reporters that he was being treated well. However, with his eyes, he blinked out the letters, T-O-R-T-U-R-E. Torture. Amateur radio, aka ham radio operators, used to need to learn Morse code to get a license, and eventually it was only necessary just to operate in high-frequency bands. In amateur radio, Morse code is known as continuous wave, or just CW. In the United States, the Morse code test for amateur radio was eliminated in 2006, and the U.S. Air Force had its last Morse code class in 2015. As Morse code fell out of favor, the number of people who knew Morse code dropped, rendering it even rarer. 
But just like the Latin language, it never quite died. There are still Morse code enthusiasts out there. A very proficient coder can transmit 40 words a minute, and the very best can transmit up to 60. You can still buy hand-built Morse code keys, and if you're interested in learning Morse code, there are many free resources available online. There are even free smartphone apps that will read and decode Morse code automatically, even from an audio source. And the Boy Scouts of America introduced an interpreter patch for Morse code back in 2012. The International Radio Union hosts the World High-Speed Telegraphy Championships, and countries in Eastern Europe always seem to do the best. For the most part, Morse code is a dead art reserve for hobbyists who keep it alive mostly out of nostalgia. Nonetheless, it did play an important part in the history of electronic communications. Everything Everywhere Daily is an airwave media podcast. The executive producer is Darcy Adams. The associate producers are Thor Thompson and Peter Bennett. Today's review comes from listener MB Carpenter 81 over at Apple Podcasts in the United States. They write, Gary never disappoints. I look forward to this podcast every day. Every episode is so well done. I'm forever impressed how much information is packed into one single episode, all the while keeping me intrigued every second. Well done. I also love Gary's travel photos on his Instagram account. Thanks, MB Carpenter. I have to admit, I haven't updated my Instagram as much lately as the podcast is now taking up all my time, and I haven't taken my camera out of my bag since the pandemic started. However, if anyone is interested in seeing some of my photos from my years of traveling around the world, you can follow me at Instagram, where my name is Everything Everywhere, all one word. Remember, if you leave a review or send me a boostagram, you too can have it read right on the show.